One of the things that I love about you, one of the things I love about this church family is your generosity of faith. And what I mean by faith, I don't just mean your generosity because you trust God, although that's certainly true, but your generosity of loyalty, that you believe in the mission of Jesus, that you believe in reaching our community and our world with the gospel of Jesus. And because you believe in our mission to take the good news about Jesus to our community and the world, you you show that by your generosity, your generosity of time and energy and service and finances. Do you realize that we've only been in the, the giving stage of our Brighter Together campaign for 12 weeks? 12 weeks ago, we officially started giving towards Brighter Together. And in the last 12 weeks, you've already given a half a million dollars. That's exciting, isn't it? And that's why I say what I love about this church family is your generosity of faith. We have three years to give, and you already have given a half a million dollars. And I am so incredibly excited because we haven't even really, the elders and ministers are working really hard at, at giving you sort of an update in September, but that update hasn't even come yet. And you already are committed to the vision and the mission. So I just want to stop for just a second and say thank you. Thank you for your generosity of faith. And, and it is that, that mission And the truth of the gospel that is at the very heart of what we've been talking about the last few weeks about the Holy Spirit. See, we live in a world, don't we? We live in a world where people sort of believe that truth is is some relative thing. That you you just believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. We we live in a world where kind of everybody wants to believe that everybody's right and nobody's wrong, right? Everybody's right, nobody's wrong. You have your position, I have mine. We say, you do you, right? Whatever you, whatever you want to do, you just do you. And there's some things that that works for, right? I mean, there's some things that that's true. Like pineapple on pizza. I, I personally believe that pineapple on pizza is is the best topping, okay? So I, I am firmly convinced that pineapple, and I know you're going to come up to me afterwards and we're going to have this out, but when I say pineapple on pizza is good, that isn't really a challenge to you at all. You, you can go on the rest of your life and you can never enjoy the wonderful treat that is pineapple on pizza, it's not really a challenge. You can believe, if you want to, that pepperoni is the best topping. But, but, and I can believe that pineapple is the best topping. And it's okay. You do you and I'll do me, right? Everybody can have their own opinion and their own view and their own pizza. You eat your pizza, I'll eat mine, right? I don't want you eating my pineapple. I'll eat my pineapple pizza. So that's okay when it comes to pizza. And there's a lot of things that that's okay with. There's a lot of things in this life. That you can do you. You can believe whatever it is you want to believe. And I'll believe whatever I want to believe. And and your your opinion may be different than my opinion. But my opinion doesn't challenge your opinion. And your opinion doesn't challenge mine. The problem comes when we want to apply that to everything. And we want to say everything is like that. There is no truth. 
There is no right. There is no wrong. Everybody can just do whatever or believe whatever or think whatever or see the world however they want to. Some things, though, are binary. It's either this or this. It can't be both. Some things, they're mutually exclusive. If this is true, then this other thing cannot be true. This other thing cannot be true. And see, the problem The problem in our world tends to be that we apply that sort of everybody's right and nobody's wrong thinking to religion. And and Christianity just doesn't fit in that category. Because our claim, what we're claiming is not just Jesus was a pretty good fella and and, and your life might be a little bit better if you followed this Jesus guy. That's not our claim. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Now, either that claim is true or it's not. It can't be true for you, but not true for me. It's either true or it's it's not true. And we have to understand that, again, as we talked about last week, that is the truth that the Spirit of God is pouring out in the world, that Jesus is Lord. Let's continue in John chapter 16. Last week, we looked at John 15, when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. This morning, let's look at John chapter 16, starting in verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you, Jesus is talking to his apostles right before his execution, right before his trial and his execution, his crucifixion. And he says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They, they, the religious leaders, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming, listen to this, when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to whom? God. Jesus says there's an hour coming, not just when I'm going to die, but there's an hour coming when you're going to die. My apostles, my disciples, there's coming an hour when, when you will not only be put out of the synagogue and killed, but the people who do that, the people who put you out of the synagogue, that kill you, that stone you, that execute you, They will do so thinking that they're offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus says the reason why a person can kill you as a religious act, believing that their murder of you is service to God, the reason they can do that is because they don't know God. Because they don't know God. And and I hesitated to make this point, but I think it's incredibly important. There are few things in the world as destructive as religious people who don't know God. That has historically proven to be the case. There are few things in the world as destructive as religious people who don't know God. Now, there are some who claim there's nothing as destructive as religious people, period, but that's not true. What is true, though, is there are few things in the world as destructive as religious people who don't know God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is an example of that, isn't he? Before Paul became a follower of Jesus, he was a persecutor of the church. 
He went city by city arresting people and persecuting people, trying to scare Jesus out of people. He was a religious terrorist. And do you know why? He persecuted the church, and he killed people, and he imprisoned people, and he stood there as Stephen was being stoned to death. Why did he do that? Because he did not know God. He knew, he knew scripture. He thought he knew God. He thought what he was doing was an act of service to God, but he didn't know God. And when did all that change? When did he stop killing Christians? When he saw Jesus. Because when you've seen Jesus, when you know Jesus, you know God. And if you don't know Jesus of Nazareth, if you don't know Jesus the Christ, if you don't know Jesus the Messiah, then your view of God is skewed. And some of us even, historically, people who claim to be followers of Jesus and who did atrocious, heinous, unjust things in the name of God because we didn't know God. And that should be a sobering thought for every single religious person in the world, shouldn't it? That there are few things as destructive as religious people who don't know God because we have the capacity to do horrible, despicable, unjust things thinking that our injustice is service to God. And Jesus says to his apostles, that time is coming for you when people will put you out of the synagogue. And that sounds like no big deal, right? Put you out of the synagogue. Or you can't go to church anymore. I mean, it's, but it, you can't imagine how horrible that would be. Maybe, maybe you can. Cut off from your family, cut off from your friends, cut off from your community, cut off from your tribe, your, your people group, and saying, you're no longer one of us. We don't know you anymore. Get out. We won't sell to you. We won't buy from you. We won't trade with you. We won't talk to you. We don't want to look at you. We don't want you at dinner. And they would put them out of the synagogue and kill them, thinking that they're offering service to God. And he's preparing them for that time. And then he says this, verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes... That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? When their hour comes. And Jesus has been saying that about himself, hasn't he? When my hour comes, my hour has not yet come, my hour is coming, and then when his time for crucifixion and ascension comes, he says, my hour has come. He says, their hour will come. And when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, here's where I want us to spend most of our time this morning. And when he comes, he will, notice that word, convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes... When the helper comes, when the, as we said a few weeks ago, when the emissary from heaven comes to be with you, through you, he will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. Let's think about that for just a second. Now, what does he mean by convict? 
I think most of the time when we've read this passage or thought about this passage, because when we think of the word convict, we think it means to feel guilty, right? To feel guilty. We put the emphasis on the feeling, like I'm convicted. Oh, I was really convicted today. That really convicted me. The truth is that the word convict here simply means to tell someone their fault, to tell them whether they feel it or not. Whether they agree with it or not, whether they accept it or not, the same word is used in Matthew 18.15, when Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Tell him his fault. It's the same word as convict here. So Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he will tell the world their fault. Some will accept it and feel convicted, and realize I am convicted, I'm wrong, and some will reject it. The same way Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, go and convict him. And if he listens to you, great, you've gained your brother. And if he doesn't listen to you, here's what you do next. And Jesus says, the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, the helper will come and he will be with you and he will tell the world their fault. He will tell the world their fault. He will tell the world that they're wrong. Now, what does that mean for us? Jesus is specifically talking to his apostles, yes, but I think if we carry through and we read through the rest of the New Testament, we'll see that this mission of the Spirit convicting the world of sin, convicting the world concerning sin, and righteousness and judgment continues to be our mission. I think the rest of the New Testament would confirm that if we are spirit-empowered people, then we participate in the Spirit's mission to convict the world. That, That doesn't mean that it's our job to make the world feel convicted, right? Because they may or may not feel convicted. It's not about them feeling convicted. Hopefully they do receive the Spirit's conviction that they're wrong concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. But they may not. They may not. But the Spirit works in the church. The Spirit empowers the church. Through the church, through God's people, the Spirit is working to convict the world, to tell the world their fault concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, what what do those terms mean? What does Jesus mean by saying that the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God will come and he will tell the world, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment? Let's look at those three things because he explains them. Verse 9. Concerning sin... Because they do not believe in me. So the Spirit accuses, the Spirit tells the world their fault concerning rebellion, concerning sin. Why? Because they do not believe in me. So the Spirit accuses the world concerning their rejection of Jesus. See, when truth is preached, the lie is condemned, right? And that's that's not true in everything. When I say pineapple on pizza is good, it doesn't condemn somebody who says pepperoni on pizza is is good. Those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. But when, when we say Jesus is Lord, 
It condemns the lie, the lies, plural, that contradict that. No one else can claim to be the Lord. No one else can claim to have all of authority. If this is true, if it's true that Jesus is Lord, then all of the lies are contradicted, are condemned, are told their fault. And Jesus says the spirit of truth is going to come, and through you, the spirit is going to convict the world concerning their sin because they do not believe in me, because they reject me. A great example is in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Remember on the day of Pentecost, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up in front of the people, and he tells the Jewish people that are gathered there, thousands of them, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, both kurios, both the Lord who's in charge and who is the master and who is the king and the Christ, the anointed priestly king, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You crucified. You rejected the one that God has made both Lord and Messiah, both Lord and Christ. Now, now the Spirit has convicted, right? The Spirit has announced and proclaimed, you're wrong. In rejecting Jesus, you're wrong. In rejecting Jesus, you are rejecting salvation. In rejecting Jesus, you are rejecting life. You are rejecting the gifts of God. And not only are you rejecting them, but you're spitting on them. You crucified the Messiah. And he is, he is the Messiah. But that doesn't guarantee that the people who hear that message are convicted or feel, feel convicted. They are convicted whether they feel it or not. And you see, today, when you and I, in the power of the Spirit, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that you can't say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit, right? And so when we proclaim and confess both in our words and the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup and the singing of praises and the fellowship of the saints, when we confess and we live out our confession that Jesus is Lord, it convicts the world concerning sin because of their rejection of Jesus. Because two truth claims that are contradictory and mutually exclusive, they cannot both be true. Either Jesus is Lord or he's not. And when we, in the power of the Spirit, say Jesus is Lord, then it convicts the world, it proclaims, it tells the world their fault concerning the rejection of Jesus. Now, hopefully, the hope is that they say, you know what, I agree, I believe that, and that they give their life to Jesus, and that they share in the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and they begin to confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they're buried with Jesus in baptism, and that they're raised up to be a part of the family that confesses the name of Jesus. But we have to understand why confession of Jesus is controversial. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. That's the life he says, listen, if you're ashamed to confess me before men, I won't confess you before my father. 
But if you confess me before men, then I will confess you before my Father. Again, we're not confessing, well, Jesus is a pretty good fella, and I like him. He works for me. I'm pretty sure he'd work for you too, so you might want to try him out. That's not what we're saying. The gospel isn't that Jesus is a pretty good idea or that Jesus had some pretty good things to say or Jesus is pretty nice and I think you would like him. The gospel is that Jesus is king. Jesus is uniting all things in heaven and on earth, Ephesians chapter 1. That's the gospel. And that's what we're confessing. And we have to understand that whether we want to be controversial or not, whether we want to tell, I don't like telling people they're wrong, do you? You don't have to get in, your finger, in, their, in, your, in their face and wag your finger at them to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Saying Jesus is Lord is enough because you're saying Jesus is Lord. And when you preach the truth, it convicts the lie. When you preach the truth, it condemns the lie. Verse 10, concerning righteousness. Now, think about that for a second. When the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world concerning righteousness what does that mean he will convict the world concerning righteousness not only will he convict the world concerning sin rebellion because they do not believe in me but he will convict the world concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you will see me no longer the spirit accuses the world concerning their sense of righteousness and justice He's saying there are some people who are going to throw you out of the synagogue and they're going to murder you. And in their murdering you, while they're throwing stones at you, while they're calling the Gentiles to come and arrest you and put you in prison and crucify you, they are going to think in their minds and their hearts, they're going to be convinced that they are doing righteous things. They're convinced that they are doing justice. And Jesus says, But the fact that I'm sitting at the Father's right hand, the fact that I've been exalted, the fact that I'm Lord, the fact that I'm Messiah, convicts the world concerning their sense of righteousness and justice. You see, when we practice and we proclaim Jesus' righteousness and justice, what he says is right and fair and good, then we convict the world concerning their sense of righteousness and justice. And this has been the case for for centuries. When, When people in the Roman Empire, when Christians, followers of Jesus in the Roman Empire, rich, wealthy Christians would leverage their wealth to free slaves. They would go into the marketplace and buy somebody who is in slavery and free them. They're practicing the righteousness of Jesus. They're doing that because Jesus is at the right hand of God, that Jesus is the one to judge, that Jesus is the one who lays down what is true and right and good. And they're they're doing righteousness in the world, freeing slaves. It condemns the world for their injustice, right? Whether they get in anybody's face or not, whether they wag their finger and say, hey, your slavery is wrong, they didn't have to do that. The very fact that they would leverage their wealth to free a slave convicts the world concerning righteousness. When people in the Roman Empire would go to the places where people who didn't want their infants, an infant was born, and they would take them out and let them die of exposure out in the wilderness. 
And Christian people would go out there and find those babies and adopt them and make them their own. When Christian people would do that, it condemned infanticide. It condemned the injustice that people were committing because these followers of Jesus were doing righteousness. They were doing justice. They were doing what was right and what was good. This kind of thing happens all of the time, doesn't it? You've seen it. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've experienced it on both sides. Maybe you've been doing something that wasn't good or right or pure or honest, and you saw a follower of Jesus doing the right thing, and it convicted you. Whether you felt it or not, it convicted you. But maybe you felt convicted, and you said, wow, they're right, and I'm wrong. See, I think about the time in our country's era when people said, I don't want to go to worship with somebody of a different skin color. And they would separate themselves, separate people who weren't like them from them. And when Christian people, some Christian people saw the injustice and the wrongness in that and said, I'm not, I'm not going along with those social norms. I'm going to break these barriers. I'm going to have fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of what their skin color is. And we're all going to come together as one family. That kind, that kind of behavior, that kind of righteousness convicted the world of their unrighteousness of their injustice, whether they felt convicted or not, because sometimes they didn't feel convicted. In fact, the wrath came down. That's what happens. That's what Jesus is telling his apostles, isn't it? That when you go out and by the power of the Spirit, you proclaim and you practice my righteousness, you, the Spirit rather, the Spirit through you convicts the world concerning righteousness. Because they all think that they know God. And they all think that what they're doing is the will of God. They all think what they're doing is righteous behavior. But when you go out and you live by the power of the Spirit, you convict the world concerning righteousness. Why? Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Because I am at the right hand of God. My righteousness is righteousness. My righteousness is the way you walk with God and live with God. When you love you convict the world for its hate. You don't have to wag your finger and say, hate is bad, hate is wrong, don't hate people. All you got to do is love. And when you love, you convict the world for its hate. When you forgive, you convict the world for its retribution and its revenge. When you show generosity, you convict the world concerning its greed. When you show hospitality, you convict the world concerning its inhospitality. And you and I have been on both sides of that, haven't we? We see Jesus and his righteousness, the way he walks with God and what he does and what he says, and it has convicted us. It says, Wes, you're not as hospitable as you think you are. You're not as loving as you think you are, Wes. You're not as forgiving as you think you are, Wes. You're not as right as you think you are. And it convicts us, and we go to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration And when we live that out, when we live out love and forgiveness and generosity and hospitality and the righteousness of Jesus because he is at the right hand of the Father, the Spirit through us convicts the world concerning righteousness. Now, verse 11, concerning judgment. He says, the Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment 
Because the ruler of this world is judged. Here is the irony, the beautiful, wonderful, exciting, glorious irony of the Gospel of John. The whole Gospel of John, it seems like who's on trial. Who does it seem like is on trial in the Gospel? Jesus, right? Jesus is on trial. Jesus is on trial. People are saying, who is this guy? What's he all about? Is he true? Is he from God? Is he righteous? Is he, is he good? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? And then finally, the, the rulers, the, the people in charge, they say he's not the Messiah. Crucify him. Kill him. We have no other king but Caesar. And what Jesus is saying all throughout this gospel account, and especially here, is that it's not really the world, or it's not really Jesus who's on trial, but the world. It's the, the Jewish leaders who are on trial. The Spirit through the work of the church, through Jesus, accuses the world, convicts the world concerning their judgment. More specifically, it wasn't just the world or the rulers who were on trial, but the ruler of the world. I think he means Satan. He's on trial here, not Jesus. And and when they executed Jesus, they didn't condemn him. They exalted him. Ironically, they didn't condemn Jesus when they executed him. They exalted him. They lifted him up. And he drew the world to himself. When they executed him, they didn't condemn him. They condemned themselves. And Jesus says, the same is going to be true for you, my apostles. And then my disciples and my followers, the church. The same is going to be true for you, that when they condemn you, when they judge you, when they say you're wrong because I am who I am and I've done what I've done and I am where I am, they are judged. And you participate in the rule and the reign of Jesus by doing exactly the kinds of things that he did. By proclaiming his deity and his lordship, his messiahship, by practicing his righteousness And by allowing the judgment of the world to fall on you, you participate with God, with the Son, with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit in the world being judged. Look look at a passage in Romans chapter 12 because I think this will really help us to see clearly what Jesus is saying because Paul echoes these same sentiments. Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. Bless those who, what church? Persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. That means don't be high-minded. Don't think better of yourself than you should. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do you see How when you live this out, when you live this out, when you refuse to participate in retribution and revenge, when you refuse to speak evil of someone, when you refuse to slap the person who slapped you, you condemn the slapping in the first place. But when you participate in it, you become a participant of it. 
Jesus says the Spirit working through you as the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control of the Spirit can be seen in you. The Spirit is convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You participate in the judgment of the wicked by allowing their injustice to fall on you. When we choose, I will stand with Jesus. I will walk with Jesus. I will suffer with Jesus. Then we rule with Jesus. The Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment through us when we participate in this way. Our enemies are being convicted of their sin by our walking in the Spirit. Now, they may either reject or accept the conviction. They may say, I'm not guilty. I'm not wrong. You're a weirdo. Why do you live like that? I don't understand you. You people are strange. But whether they accept it or not, or believe it or not, or feel it or not, the Spirit is convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. How about this? Three things. The Spirit is convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment through you if you are confessing Jesus as Lord, living out uh, out his righteousness, living with God the way Jesus lived with God, honoring God the way Jesus honored God, and willing to suffer mistreatment with Jesus. In other words, living in obedience to the gospel. Sometimes we call getting baptized, obeying the gospel. Is it part of obeying the gospel? Sure, absolutely. It's the beginning of a life of obedience. But every single day, we have a choice. Will I obey the gospel today? Will I obey the gospel today? Will I confess Jesus as Lord? Will I live out his righteousness? Am I willing to suffer mistreatment with Jesus? And when we do this, The Spirit is convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And some of them are going to look at us and say, they're right and I'm wrong and I need to come to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration. I need to come to Jesus to be reconciled to God. And some of them will reject it. And in rejecting that, they will reject Jesus and they will reject you. But here's the moment of truth question. Is the Spirit convicting the world through your obedience to the gospel. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to obey the gospel. Because when you obey the gospel, when you preach the truth, you convict the lie. When you practice love, you convict the hate. When you practice forgiveness, you convict the bitterness and the revenge. When you practice generosity, you convict the greed. And other people say, why do you do that? You think you're better than us? Why do you do that? Why do you live that way? I don't understand you. Why are you always doing these things? And it's really hard to live like that. Because sometimes we lose friends. And sometimes we lose family. Because they may think that what they're doing is righteous. 
But we know what righteousness looks like because we know what God looks like if we know Jesus. And that's what we're saying when we say, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what we're saying when we're baptized into Jesus is I want to be associated with him. I want to confess his name and practice his righteousness. I want to do things his way. I want to follow him. I want to belong to him. I'm convicted and I need forgiveness. And I want the spirit to work through me that my friends and my family might come to know God and be reconciled to him. So maybe there's somebody this morning and you realize you're not right with God. The spirit through the gospel and through the work of the church has convicted you and you've felt and realized and acknowledged and accepted that conviction that you need to be put right with God. He offers you that. He offers you rightness to be in a right covenant relationship with him. You respond by repenting and being baptized into Jesus, confessing his name now and for the rest of our lives. Or maybe we've wandered away. Maybe we've stopped allowing the Spirit to convict the world through us because we'd rather be friends with the world than we would friends with God. And maybe you need restoration or maybe you just need prayers. If there's anything at all that we can do for you, visit with our shepherds after service or come forward now as we stand and sing.